Welcome to But Hurt Lyrics, the show where we delve into the meaning and politics behind the songs of War on Women and other artists you love. I'm Shauna Potter, singer and lyricist for War on Women and your host. This is the official start of season two of BHL, and I'm getting weird by starting with a topic that should absolutely be a wow song, but for whatever reason, just isn't yet. I'll be chatting with Adrian Corsion, a self-described freelance drug journalist, about an article they wrote at the end of 2021 titled, How the Criminalization of Testosterone Attacks Gender Variant People. They wrote it for Filter Mag, which is an online harm reduction magazine. Now, before we dig in, this episode is sponsored by First Defense Krav Maga. Hello to Nick and the whole team there. Uh, and also Women's Pride NFT, a project that my badass patron Stefan is involved in. Also, a huge shout out to recruit Melissa P for her support. Thanks, Melissa. So... I'd like to think my band is full of trans accomplices, you know? Our song Second Wave Goodbye is basically about trans rights uh, and will be featured in an upcoming podcast episode. I spent a lot of my early activism working with local trans communities. Uh, we currently have a gender nonconforming person in the band, but I have not found a way to write a song that is specifically about the struggles of trans men and other people using testosterone that has seemed appropriate. As we venture into this new season together, uh, where I will be taking deep dives on War on Women songs, other people's songs, and even topics that could and should be War on Women songs, I want to get something clear up front right now. No one has to write a song about anything. And no one can write songs about everything, right? You can care about an issue and just not find the inspiration you need to put pen to pad or even just not find the right way to sing about it, especially if it's something that you have no personal experience with, right? So that alone, the fact that I have not written a song about tea being a controlled substance and its effects on the trans community, that by itself is not a problem. But interestingly, it does feed into a common problem that trans men and trans masculine people have, which is that of erasure. The first time I heard directly about the erasure of trans men, I was doing a training on how to respond to street harassment. Uh, it was at a Trans Day of Remembrance event maybe 10 years ago. And I remember this trans guy said, now that I present as male, I no longer get catcalled. But instead, I find that when I'm in public spaces, I am completely ignored, like I don't exist. That was super sad to hear that. And it's such a perfect example of how harassment is different for everyone. Like, there are so many people I know, like me, that wish we were left alone and ignored in public, right? But to be acknowledged as a human being that exists, it's crucial. It's something everyone deserves. Now, I will not pretend to know all the reasons why the erasure of trans men is a thing. Uh, and who knows if I'll ever write a song about it, but... I am hoping that my upcoming interview with Adrienne will make visible one of the issues that many trans men and others face today. Interview time! Adrienne Corsion, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, please introduce yourself to everyone. Thanks for having me on, Shauna. Um, I'm a freelance drug journalist. I am also a PIC abolitionist. So this is a great example of what we're going to talk today about the overlap of uh, abolition and 
uh, drug journalism, particularly in how it impacts transgender, non-binary, intersex, and other gender variant people. Yeah. I mean, yes, you are the right person for this talk, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you you know, I just want to say I looked at your website. You're also a speaker. You've written for every major awesome outlet. And you're a photographer. Yes. And what I love about your photography page is that it's just live music and protests, <laughs> yeah. which is exactly perfect for but her lyrics. So <laughs> um, everyone go to Adrian's website and check them out. They're, they're wonderful photos. <laughs> um, so my band saw a tweet of yours in our timeline sharing an article that you wrote for Filter Magazine, and it's called The Criminalization of Testosterone Attacks Gender Variant People. And you mentioned wanting to do some interviews about it. Um, I don't know if you had this one in mind coming on a punk rock podcast, but I thought this would be a perfect topic for BHL to dig into deeper because this absolutely should be a war on women's song. Um, can you sum up the core issue here? What are we talking about? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what we're talking about here, we're talking about gender affirming hormone replacement therapy. We're talking about uh, people who use testosterone. So this could be transgender men who are looking for the masculinization effects of it. Um, Non-binary people who are looking for more androgynous features. Uh, intersex people who may have like medical, um, medical reasoning for it, or they might also engage in this for gender affirming purposes, mm -hmm. um, because there are cis cisgender men who take testosterone for, um, purely medical reasons. Um, so that's kind of the overlap of how, of HRT. Uh, however, from what we know about, um, anabolic steroid abuse and how the government, tends to uh, use prohibitionist drug policing to target drug abuse, which we all know doesn't work, but I digress. We're still here. Uh, um, yeah. And there was just a, a few um, different pieces of legislation that criminalized testosterone as a controlled substance under the Controlled Substance Act, um, enforced by the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, and this has um, decades of history. So in 1990, there was the first um, uh, criminalization of Metabolic Steroids Act. It was sponsored by Democrat Bill Hughes, who was the hits close to home because that is my um, Bill Hughes is represent represented the constituency where I grew up, and that mm. even my high school had a whole like theater where I used to perform music in um, when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, and then Joe Biden was part of the 2004 um, kind of advancement of all of this. But these measures were targeting cisgender men who are in athletics to, um, you know, curb their uh, use of kind of performance enhancers. And since we live in a trans antagonistic society already, um, those people weren't necessarily considered um, when this was being criminalized. So this is kind of like collateral damage of, all of that. And I think there is like a larger issue that is happening here about how, um, about the competition and capitalist nature of uh, professional sports mm -hmm. and also uh, body dysmorphia not being limited to gender nonconforming people by any means and how it is even really hurtful for cis people. Um, and it hurts everybody. So this is just a case of this thing that's been law for a while, right? Preventing performance mm -hmm. enhancing drugs. Um, and then the bureaucracy just not catching up with the fact that people use testosterone for different reasons? 
Right. I can't imagine what it must be like for people who are trans or gender nonconforming uh, to access healthcare. I have a hard time with healthcare, right? And I'm white and cis and like, mm -hmm. obviously it's harder for everyone else. Can you give us examples of what trans and gender nonconforming folks have to go through for basic healthcare to, to even get testosterone if that's what they need? Um, so to access gender affirming care, it depends on your state um, because there could be barriers. So in some states, you may need to see a therapist for six months or a period of time. Six months. Yeah. for mm. So a mental health professional um, can decide whether to believe you that you are um, the gender that you say you are. And that's probably someone assigned to you, right? Like that's not even necessarily your chosen therapist. Right. I mean, well, it can, I guess it depends of what is chosen, right? Because um, not all therapists have the power to do this, right? Um, so if somebody has a relationship with the type of um, therapist that they maybe have been talking about these things, um, if that person doesn't have the, you know, credentials to, because um, these are these are letters that you would take to go to a clinic to get these things to say, mm. oh, I've gone and done this thing. And similarly, um, that letter, needing a letter to kind of explain this thing, um, that is particular what is needed for um, like surgery. Uh, so in either to go to a surgeon, you need some sort of uh, certification by somebody, a medical professional who specializes in gender affirming care to be like, this person uh, is definitely this gender. And also they need, they are seeking this type of surgery. Um, and also insurance plays a part in this, right? Because it deems what is medically necessary, right. um, because that can also be used to deny people um, the care that is medically necessary and a care that they deserve. So yeah, so there, there's lots of bureaucratic stuff going on before somebody can even step into the office to get their um, testosterone because it mm -hmm. is it can be such a long process. There's something called the model of informed consent, which is a more progressive and like favorable measure where it you don't have to go to um, a therapist. You can just walk into a Planned Parenthood um, that has been offering HRT for a handful of years now where you can walk in, I'm transgender, I'm non-binary, I would like to go on gender-affirming hormone therapy. Um, they'll be like, okay, we believe you, here, sit. It, it'll probably take a, a lot of waiting. But um, when I did it, you know, I, I went in and said, I want this thing, and then I was able to walk out with a prescription. So it is possible. Yeah, but I also lived in Philadelphia at the time. So <laughs> it's definitely not uh, not everywhere like it should be. Now, when I was reading your article, PDMP came up. What is that? Tell us about that. Yes, it's a prescription drug monitoring program. And that is essentially like a database that medical professional and law enforcement can access of everybody who is on a controlled substance. So this could be testosterone, this could be Adderall, uh, anything that is prescribed by a doctor that falls under the Controlled Substance Act and it's scheduled in some way. That seems weird, right? For cops to be able to access your medical records. <laughs> yes, it's definitely weird. Okay, um, just definitely sure. weird. <laughs> right, because like hypothetically, you know, you could see the police have access to um, what people are taking and we don't know how that can be used, right? Um, and then you have really awkward situations. So like in my article, for instance, um, there's another uh, filter contributor, ML, and they went to um, uh, a psychiatrist 
and the psychiatrist was able to access this information. So um, that person was outed really without like, you know, before even approaching that and having the autonomy to choose whether or not they were going to do it. And yeah, like that happened to me at a dentist one time. So I was just like, it's not really relevant (laughs) for my dentist to know that because when I go throughout the world, it's uh, sure I would like my dentist to to gender me correctly, but sometimes I'm just in and out there and I would rather just get in and out if I have a cleaning that's only a half hour, right? Yeah. What does a teeth cleaning have to do with? Right, right. Um, so yeah, so you have awkward situations like that. And obviously this is like set a system set up for people to be harassed, um, for people to endure more violence because it's just a, a really, it's a, it's a dangerous, uh, it's a dangerous game to play. Does this contribute to the ways in which trans men experience erasure? Do, do you feel comfortable speaking to that at all? Um, sure. Uh, I guess I can speak from my experience as a non-binary person who is on testosterone. And I think like the common thread here um, is more encompassing for transgender folks. And like, particularly like with this um, theme of athletics and testosterone of what we see right now with um, these bills um, all over the country that are banning transgender girls and women Um, from competing on the team that is most affirming to their gender uh, because of this biological essentialism or, you know, to sum that term up of just men are men, women are women. (laughs) You're biologically determined by whatever sex or gender you were assigned at birth. But what we know about gender is that these things are not true. Your gender is not fixed. Um, It can change over time. And, you know, uh, a transgender woman's testosterone levels absolutely do not make her uh more enhanced or mm-hmm. and it's not cheating and also it, it brings and like personally i'm curious about this especially for transgender men who are athletes where it's like a lot of this is targeting trans women because of what we know about trans misogyny yes um but i'm always like well what about transgender men who are on testosterone because that is totally like left out and i think from like a trans exclusionary radical feminist point of view um, of course, they don't see transgender men as actual men. Right. Um, so, but yeah, but like hypothetically, what would that look like if someone who is assigned female at birth is taking testosterone? That's not seen as cheating as much as a transgender woman. So it's like kind of unique in how um, trans feminine people face those like added um, added oppressions on top of each other. But yeah, it just gets into really seedy territory where we're making a lot of assumptions about testosterone that gives it a lot more credit than actually it is, <laughs> to be honest. Right. Because, and like me, I'm like, let's not do that. I'm yeah. not into giving <laughs> testosterone more credit than it deserves. But right. That's the killjoy feminist in me, probably. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, there is a great book. I forget the author, but it's uh, Testosterone. A, um, a history that came out. I think this came out in 2020. It is all about the history of testosterone and kind of like undergoes this social history of like, we have these, all of these assumptions about testosterone makes people violent and angry and yada, 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 all these things um, that are really just like biological essentialism and just, just giving it way more credit um, than it actually gets because it's it's a hormone and also cis women do have testosterone too. So how does this issue of the criminalization of testosterone, how does that fit in with the general erosion of trans rights these days? Um, aren't, aren't things getting, I feel like things are getting worse for trans people right now, like more laws are being uh, enacted that limit uh, their rights. 
Um, how does this fit in? Yeah, um, I'm thinking of that anti-LGBT bill in Florida about schools because there's like definitely an overlap with um, schools being particularly trans uh, antagonistic and just education systems um, and overall anti-LGBT. Um, when when you have any controlled substance, so if there's people listening to it who've ever had been prescribed a stimulant, um, there are these similar barriers of like you can only um, there's only a certain amount that can be prescribed to you. You need to keep going and seeing a doctor. Mm-hmm. So like unlike per se a diabetes medication that is not a controlled substance, you can get away with not going to a doctor for years because of good Rx and something like that. However, um, to get mm-hmm. an Adderall prescription, to get a testosterone prescription alike, it's like you only have an X amount that you can use up. So you need to keep on going back to the doctor. Uh, if you're uninsured, that gets more and more expensive just for somebody to say, hey, you still, yes, this is still medically necessary for you to have um, as opposed to anything else, right? Right. And 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 getting to the doctor, affording to go to the doctor, having a doctor that uh, affirms the gender you are, that's already a hurdle. And so to be forced to keep going back is is just another. Yeah. And especially in rural areas that don't have access to like these like gender, uh, like LGBT care clinics um, are very few and far between. So is there anything about this issue that you feel doesn't get talked about enough or something that you wish I asked you <laughs> about the criminalization of testosterone? With the, the, what kind of inspired this article is that I had personal experience of hostility from the pharmacy, then just like not really understanding, like um, particularly with needles, it's always, I'm always arguing with the pharmacy about which needles I need because testosterone is a very thick substance. So you need a different needle to inject um, than one to draw. Yeah. Um, but usually they give you the same needles and, but once I posted on Twitter and had a call for sources, there were so many people were like, yes, like this, like criminalization affects me in such a unique way hmm. uh, and so differently. So there were shared experiences, but particularly the source that I interviewed at the beginnings, uh, San Francisco is a non-binary person who is traveling to uh, back to New Mexico from visiting their parents in Connecticut. And they were in a small town in Texas. And then this kind of whole incident went down and they're just pulling over just to take a break and a police officer knocks on their window and then it kind of escalates into this um searching their car they find um the syringes start mistaking them for like an injectable drug user which of course would not be uh deserving of that too um because drug policing is terrible for for everybody even if you are somebody who uses drugs but you know when the testosterone came into the picture they did not have good intentions um of how this was acquired. It didn't really matter that it was their prescription. Didn't matter that their name was on it, right? Right. So yeah, and it kind of escalated to just uh, being in jail for at least a night, maybe two. All because they had a prescription with their name on it in their car. Yeah, something that was legally prescribed to them. Mm -hmm. And they were um, in in the cell with uh, heroin users too. Um, So I think it is kind of like what injectable drug users face a particular kind of stigma amongst people who use drugs Mm -hmm. and how criminalization and stigma go hand in hand. And I think like the, because this kind of took like this connection between what I do as a drug journalist, but also carrying over into my personal experience and gender 
And it really calls for um, how health is policed. Certain people's health are policed. Certain people's health are mm -hmm. criminalized. And drug laws need to be abolished. DEA, abolished DEA. The Controlled Substance Act doesn't do anything to actually curb addiction. What we know about addiction and how to treat it, needle exchange, syringe exchanges, harm reduction measures, overdose prevention centers, these are things that actually save people's lives and keep people alive and provide them access to a social support that uh, shall they want to access these services. And I think for um, any LGBT person, especially trans people, uh, it would be really awesome reimagining a future where they can access gender affirming care in the same place where they get their needles. Um, I know at my doctor, even though I'm prescribed uh, syringes, I don't have a place to safely dispose of them there. That's wild. Yeah. So I think it's just a lot of these existing harm reduction measures that we know to be true for the general people who use drugs should absolutely be included and um, we need we need more social support for LGBT people, for trans people, for non-binary people who, you know, need this education of also how to use their syringes, um, because particularly with testosterone, it's a very long needle. It hurts. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. not fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like it's th there's lots of uh, comprehensive drug education that uh, a lot of people need that the in-person support is really uh, a lifeline too for people who it could be life or death, um, whether they get access to hormones or not and other types of gender affirming care. Other than supporting harm reduction efforts in your town, uh, what is something that cisgender allies can do to help or really anyone, you know, can do to help uh, around this issue? Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of this goes back to like opposing this kind of like, community policing and drug war mentality that yes, we absolutely have um, people that whose lives are lives and their families are torn apart by incarceration, um, which is from more the abolitionist side. I'm very much into prison letter writing and creating connections with people behind bars. Um, but particularly with drugs, it's also this part of like this interpersonal work of like, how are we policing each other? How are we um, carrying these stigmas like that is kind of fed to us from capitalism, fed to us from police? How are we using these things against each other? Like I'm thinking of just like um, at work, just drug testing, like the fact that we still have that, especially in places where uh, weed is legal now. I know. Um, doing drug testing for THC is like pretty arbitrary. Ridiculous. Um, but even other types of drug testing just beyond THC um, are pretty arbitrary and used as like a legal way for people be, to be denied employment. Similarly to like so-called criminal records uh, are used to deny people employment. Um, this is the legacy that the drug war has. So even tearing down a part of like, oh, well, does my workplace have this thing? Um, have this uh, drug placing? Does it, uh, do we deny people who have so-called criminal records um, and kind of dismiss them. Like these are issues that can hit somebody, um, whatever proximity to power you have in your workplace. And even like if you are in just your own family amongst your chosen family uh, and friends, it's like, how are we, how are we talking about people who use drugs? I don't even want to say um, the C word, but like, you know, crackhead should be treated as a slur. 
mm-hmm. as it is. Like these should not be like we shouldn't be saying that um, in a just flippant way. Yeah. Um, and really challenging our own biases towards people who use drugs, I think is really important and part of the work too, because that also falls under anti-racism work. It falls sure. under all of this uh, social justice to make safe make spaces safer, like in your book. <laughs> For sure. Wow. Thank you so much for joining me. What, uh, where can people find you? Where can people read your work? Uh, what do you want to promote? So people can follow me on social media, uh, twitter.com slash mix them, M-X-T-H-E-M-M-E. Um, it's also on Instagram. Don't use Instagram as much, um, but also Filter Magazine. So shout out to everyone who I interviewed for Filter. And thanks to Castle and Will, the editors there uh, that are always supportive, so supportive of my work. Um, and yeah, so I think, and also on Facebook also mix them and Instagram makes them, but Twitter is probably, uh, the best place to find me. And if you would just want to learn more about all of the work I've done, adriancorsione.com is a great place to start. Cool. I'll put the links in the show transcription for sure. Um, Adrian, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Shauna. It was really great. Thanks again to Adrian for spending some time with me and stay tuned for a bonus rant session where we complain about Joe Biden and his administration's quick reversal of what was to be a historic investment in community led harm reduction efforts, all because some Republicans complained about it. Now, I'm not sure if it's going to go on YouTube or if it will be a Patreon exclusive just yet. I'm still figuring out season two, but to be safe Follow me on socials and join my Patreon. I just revamped all my benefit tiers, so if you were holding out before, I get it, but right now, you just might find something you like, so check it out. Patreon.com slash Shauna Potter. Well, that's it for now, but keep listening for a quick ask at the end, and just know that you can support this podcast by sharing, subscribing, and reviewing it. It's free and it helps. To find the transcripts or to find out more about what I do, like my book, my trainings, my Patreon, head to shaunapotter.com. And to learn about all things War on Women, head to Linktree, linktree slash war on women. Now, here's my ask. If this episode inspires you to write a song about testosterone being a controlled substance or all the unreasonable hoops that trans and gender nonconforming folks have to go through just for basic health care, let me know. I want to hear it. Or if you know of a song that already exists, please tell me, share it with me, and I'll share it with everyone else. Okay? Till next time.